In March 2019, this year, Lloyds Bank began an advertising campaign on national television. On the back of some research that they commissioned that concluded that talking about money in everyday conversation is a bigger taboo than sex, religion or politics. So taboo was the subject of money that the campaign was called the M word. And the purpose of this M word campaign, as well as obviously promoting the bank and other banks are available, was to destigmatize talking about money. Uh, Lloyd's also partnered with Relate, which is the uh, organisation that supports couples, uh, to launch a series of M-word courses to help people talk about money at key life stages, such as getting married, leaving home, or managing your finances for Christmas. Because their research also found that people don't talk about money with their loved ones. 44% of people have avoided talking and having discussions about money, and a quarter of people had lied to family and friends about their personal finances. And when conversations do happen, the research said that it stirs up a range of emotions. People said they find it stressful talking about their finances with family, and they feel embarrassed. And this reluctance to discuss money matters is causing problems in people's personal relationship. Over a third of people in a relationship have argued with their partner about money. And over a fifth have lied to their partner about money. Usually, and most commonly, people are lying to conceal the amount of debt they have. But despite these findings, 61% of people said they felt better when they do open up and talk about their money concerns. So today, as the family of Christ, we are going to talk about money. And if money's a sensitive subject out there in the world, well, talking about it at church just doubles those tensions, doesn't it? It's a difficult church subject that can create even more emotions. I remember a friend telling me when I was much younger um, that they'd begun attending a local church. And after a few weeks uh, of church attendance, they were paid a pastoral visit by the vicar. And as part of that, the vicar had started to explain about giving and suggested that this person should be giving some money to the church. That person never went back again. All that church wants me for, they said, is me money. So let me say right at the outset that the motivation in speaking today is not because all the church wants you for is your money. Is that okay? Yeah. Um, but I am going to talk about giving in a church context but that's because we have a pastoral responsibility to teach about the biblical principle of giving. And also, money is a key part of our discipleship. And I would say that unless we mature in handling our money, then we limit our maturity in faith. In fact, if I put it another way, our relationship with money reflects our Christian maturity because it reveals how we see the world, where we put our trust, and what we really think about the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus didn't shy away from the issue of money. In fact, alongside teaching about the kingdom of God, money was one of the things that Jesus taught most about, and he regularly used money to illustrate spiritual truths. Today, if you're here and you're not yet in Christ, that means you're not born again, you're not a follower of Jesus, 
Well, this message might still be of use to you because the ways of Jesus is probably the best wisdom for everyone. But I want to be right up front at the start of this talk and stress that this is for people who profess to being Christian and are on the journey of putting Christ, Jesus, at the centre. And today I am talking exclusively in the context of money, but I want to say that giving and the way we give is much more than money. It's what we do with our time, it's what we do with our gifts, it's what we do with our talents, it's how we serve, it's the whole self. But just for today's talk, we are looking at money. And, and when I was preparing for this preach, I believe I had a little bit of revelation, um, a word of direction from the Holy Spirit for us as a church, and that's what I'm basing my talk on. So the talk is a little bit different to the one I expected to give. So you might need to bear with me and show me some grace if that's okay. Um, but I believe that this word of direction was that there are three key premises, three ideas, three key foundations that you and I have to settle for ourselves in our heart before we can have the correct relationship between money and God. And these are the three things I feel the Holy Spirit dropped into my heart. Number one, everything belongs to God. Number two, there's a battle for your soul. And number three, it's actually all about trust. And if you can get these three things settled in your soul, in your spirit and in your mind, then I believe everything in your walk with God and the relationship to money will flow. If you don't get these three facts settled in the foundation of your being, I think you'll continually struggle in the area of money. Now, when I say settled, what I don't mean is that as I talk, you nod and you agree with me and you say, Amen, although please do that, it's very encouraging. Simply agreeing with me isn't the same as things being settled. What I'm talking is about is what you really believe deep down in the core of your soul, in your heart, in your guts. Because we can all say one thing and believe one thing, but then do another. For example, I might say, I'm going to get fit and join a gym. I'm not going to say that, but I might. And I might believe it. But in 2018, the newspapers reported that Britons are wasting £558 million on gym memberships that are rarely used. 21% of people go as little as three times a year and a further 11% have never visited the gym in the whole year. That's nearly half of people with a gym membership not using it. You see, good intentions are not the same as having something settled. So I want us right at the start to understand that getting these three principles, everything belongs to God, there's a battle for your soul, and it's actually about trust. Getting those settled means that you have them deep down in your very core. Not just on the surface, not just the things that we say, but the actions that flow from that. So point one, everything belongs to God. We start our first premise by believing this. Do you believe that, that everything belongs to God? Yeah. When we become a Christian, we exchange our mortal life of limited years, cut off from God, for eternal life of loving communion with our Heavenly Father. What a divine exchange. We enter into a relationship with God when our lives are no longer our own, but we are his 
and he is ours. This means that all we have, our life, our possessions and our money, comes from God and belongs to him. And there are many, many scriptures to point to this truth. I've just put a few on the screen behind me. And in the Old Testament, God set up some principles for how that relationship with him works when it comes to our possessions and money. And the main way he established this was through the tithe. Now, if you're new to church, you've not been around very long and you're a new Christian, then the concept of tithing basically means giving 10% of your income to God as the first thing that you do. And this was laid down in Leviticus 27 verse 30. And God's people are told to give the first 10% of their field and their flocks and their livelihood to God. It was called a tithe of everything from the land. And it said it belongs to the Lord. And then later on in the Old Testament, and there's lots and lots of scriptures you can look up, but God says in Malachi 3 verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and test me in this. So God's asking us to test him and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Do you believe that, church? That God has so much for us that we just won't have room for us. And tithing teaches us that as God's people, we have two main responsibilities when it comes to the tithe. First, we tithe to God's work. And secondly, we have a responsibility to God's people. So the tithe came to the Levites. Now, the Levites were the priests. They were the people of God of the time. And the priests had their work assigned in the temple. So they didn't get an inheritance of the land. They didn't get any income. So the people bought a tenth to the Levites to support the work of God. But within the tithe, the provision was made for the widow and the orphan. And the Bible uses that language as shorthand for the most underprivileged people that were around at the time. So in tithing, we follow a duty to God's work and we follow a duty to God's people who are underprivileged. Now, I believe that the wisdom of the Old Testament is only a pattern, a mere shadow of what goes on in the heavenly realm. It's an inferior pattern, but while on earth, it points to the kingdom. And of course, when the cross of Jesus occurred, it transformed everything. So we're now not under law, but we're under grace. And this means that we're called to a higher standard of mercy and justice and faithfulness and generosity than the law could ever provide. And Jesus in the New Testament affirmed the idea of tithing, but he transformed it from a rules-based religion to a heart-based relationship. He said, yes, of course you should tithe, but you should give more of your focus to justice and mercy and faithfulness. So is tithing still a good idea? Yes. It's a good starting place to develop the discipline of generosity. We learn every month or every week, depending on how we're paid, whether we feel like it or not, to give, to tithe. And the Bible says we give cheerfully to God and to meet the needs of others. That's 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7. And it's a way of remembering all that God has given us. 
on a weekly or a monthly basis. And it trains us to live on less than what we earn. An absolutely vital lifelong skill. Now, Jesus is our role model when it comes to relationship with money and material things and things like that. And Jesus taught us in this particular area not to be anxious, not to worry, not to have such a concern about the stuff of this world that it cripples us spiritually. Rather, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about all these other things because when you seek first the kingdom of God, all these other things will be added to you. So that's point one. But before I move on to point two, I want to share a little bit of personal testimony, if that's okay. It was 18 years ago when I came to an Alpha course at Junction 10. Very wary and suspicious of religion, especially in the subject of money. My attitude was very much the case where my money was my own. I earned it. I needed it, and it belonged to me. After about seven weeks on the Alpha course with people like Paul and Joy and Sue on my table telling me all the great stories about their experience with Jesus, I, I knew I had to give my life to Jesus. And I remember emailing the church to double-check that if I did this, the church wouldn't come after me for my money. Now, Carol McRoberts, do you remember Carol? Yes, Carol McRoberts was the church finance and admin person at the time. And she replied and she assured me that there was no obligation in terms of money and that no one would come asking for it. Phew. But I do remember that she said in the email that God would speak to me about it. He'd speak to me about money. And you know what? She was absolutely right. I'd probably been a Christian about three or four months and it seemed like every time I opened the Bible, it was about money and tithing and giving every single time. In fact, I went up to someone. I was so confident it would happen. I said, watch what happens if I open the Bible. I opened the Bible, closed my eyes, pointed to a verse. It was about tithing. It really was. The Holy Spirit would highlight passages on tithing and offerings and giving. Or I'd listen to a talk or I'd read a Christian book and you could guarantee that there'd be something there teaching me about giving. God was on my case. And it happened so frequently that eventually I got the message. I'm a bit thick, but eventually I do get the message. And God changed my heart. He really did. And I realised that tithings and offerings and giving wasn't about the church wanting my money, but about God wanting the whole of my heart. And I got to the stage where I personally would have gladly started to tithe, but at the time, I was in a marriage where my then wife didn't agree with it. So I took some advice from our senior pastor, and he told me that the key thing was that my heart was right in wanting to give, but God wouldn't want me to give if that would cause major problems with my marriage. Do you get that? Yeah. A few months later, however, my then wife left me for another man. And I remember as she walked out the door, I remember saying distinctively that the first thing I was going to do was begin to tithe and give to God. And I have done ever since. So that's a little bit of personal testimony. So to conclude point one, when we recognize that everything we have comes from God and belongs to him, then we see that we're simply stewards 
managers of the stuff that God have given us and that it's not a major problem to give him 10% back for his purposes. So on to point two, there's a battle for your soul. Excuse me. There is a battle between the dominion of darkness and the kingdom of this world and the kingdom of God for your soul. There is an enemy of your soul, the adversary, who wants only one thing, to come between you and God, to prevent you from entering into the freedom and fullness that your heavenly Father has for you. Now, Jesus said that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength. But the enemy will do everything possible to divide the loyalty of your heart away from God. The enemy will do everything possible to divide your loyalty away from God. And he does this by, by, by offering tempting alternatives. The three main devices the adversary uses are power, sex, and money. I bet you're glad I'm only talking about money today, aren't you? And I would say that for all of us here today, the key battleground for our souls is money and material possessions. In Luke 8, verse 14, we find the parable of the four soils. Now, we're doing a preaching series coming up over the summer, and I see people smiling because they've chosen the parable of the four soils, so I'm not going to spoil the fun on that one. Uh, you'll learn more about that in the summer. But I do want to quickly focus on the third soil. And just to give you an overview, Jesus said in this parable that there was seed sown, and the seed fell in four different places. It fell on a path, and the birds ate it. It fell on rocky ground, and although it sprouted quickly, it withered through lack of soil depth. It fell amongst thorns and was choked, and it fell on good soil where it produced a crop. They're the four soils. And when Jesus explained the parable, he said that the seed represents the word of God. And he explained in each of the three of the four places where the seed landed, there was no crop, no harvest. Only in the good soil was there a harvest. So let's focus on this third soil. This third soil was full of thorns. And Jesus explained that these are people who hear the word of God. So the seed is the word of God. And people hear the word of God. But that word is choked by the thorns. And he said these thorns are worries about riches and pleasures of this life. So the riches and pleasures and the money and the material things of this life can be like thorns that choke the word of God. Indeed, some translations call it the deceitfulness of wealth. Now, I want to say to you today, wealth in itself is not bad. But it can be deceitful. Jesus didn't say it was money that, the, that was the problem. He said it was the love of money that was the problem. Wealth can be deceitful if we allow it the wrong place in our hearts. When our hearts are so attached to money, it dethrones God, then Jesus says that our desires for riches and pleasures are like the weeds and thorns that choke out the word of God. The word of God is the good seed. The word of God is the thing that should bring life and a bountiful harvest. But when it lands in a heart of weeds and thorns, the life 
is choked out of God's word. There is nothing wrong with the power of God's word. The issue is when it lands in a heart full of weeds and thorns. There is a battle for your soul. And Jesus said the key to this battle is your treasure. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. Either God is your master or money is your master. You cannot sit on the fence on this one. You can't hedge your bets. It's one or the other. Because Jesus said you will love one and you will end up hating the other. So everything belongs to God, point one. There's a battle to your, for your soul, point two. Finally, on to point three. It's actually about trust. Right, I have a short exercise for you. Everyone close your eyes if you don't mind, if that's okay. Just close your eyes. Make your right hand, or if you're left-handed, your left hand. Make your dominant hand into a fist. So I want you to make a fist. Right? Now, for the next number of seconds, I want you to squeeze your hand and your fist as hard as you can. Ready? Go. Squeeze it as hard. Ian Grizzle, you can squeeze harder than that. I am watching you. I haven't got my eyes closed. Squeeze hard. Really hard. Really, really hard. Squeeze. How does it feel? What's your body sensing? Do you feel the tension? Squeeze harder. Is your forearm getting tight? Squeeze harder. I can see some of you are not squeezing. Give it a squeeze. Is your wrist locked up? Are your fingers cramping yet? Keep going. Keep squeezing hard. What thoughts are running through your brain? Wish you could stop. Okay, time's up. Oh, relax your hand now. Okay. Now for the next exercise. Close your eyes. And I want you to open your hand flat. Fingers extended. Lay it on your lap gently. Palm facing the ceiling. And just gently hold your hand there and begin. What feelings do you notice this time? Are they different? Perhaps a bit more relaxing, less tension, more peaceful? How have your thoughts changed with your hands open? Okay, you can stop now and you can open your eyes. So in exercise one, I bet all you could do was focus on the task. Probably it was all you were thinking about. It also became, because I did it as well, increasingly painful as time wore on. My forearm was burning. Um, I didn't have fingernails in my palms because I keep them short because I'm a guitarist. But if you've got long nails, I bet you had some finger marks in there. Exercise two, in contrast, was easy, I think. Did you find that? Exercise two was a bit easier. No pain. Very relaxed. Probably after even 10 or 15 seconds, your mind probably started drifting. As you relaxed, and that state allowed you to focus on some other things in your life just for a few moments. You see, a clenched fist or an open hand, these are two very vastly different approaches to money. When you hold your money tightly, you seemingly have more control over it. Your money stays locked up with you. The mind focuses on possessing it. 
And you work at keeping yourself all the time the money for you. It's mentally consuming. Your mindset in the clenched fist scenario is greatly controlled by fear of the future. What you're basically thinking is, what if something awful happens and I need all that money? And in some small way, you might be saying to God, you know what? I'm not sure I trust you enough or have enough faith that you will provide for me. I'd better control my own money affairs and keep all I can. And the irony in the Klaus Fisch scenario is that the more we try and control money, the more it controls us. The more we try and control money, the more it controls us. And while it's true, when we grasp our money tightly, none of it will leave our hand, it's also true that we can't extend a closed hand and receive anything. We can't easily receive financial or spiritual blessings with our fists locked in a tightly closed position. And if you have this sort of tight fist mentality, you believe that what you have belongs to you. But grasping tightly what you have prevents God giving you what he has for you. Clinging to the little you have now prevents you from receiving what you could have. So, we have to loosen our grip. We have to open our hand. We have to let go and be ready to receive. And on the face of it, I know it doesn't make sense to think that when you hold your hand with an open posture and let money flow out of it, that you'll be better off. But from a, a spiritual perspective, can I, can I assure you that it's clear that the blessings of God, whether that's financial blessings or spiritual blessings, flow to us when we trust him, when we obey him. And that blessing can be financial, it can be spiritual. Most likely, if you move from a clenched fist to an open hand, one of the biggest things that will happen is that you will yield an emotional and spiritual return that impacts our heart and our mind. And it's the type of reward that can't be measured in earthly pounds and pence. It's priceless. If you trust God, really trust God, you can be open-handed. Can you trust him enough to offer back to him what was his in the first place? When you do, then you will position yourself to receive. John Wesley famously declared that the last part of a person to be converted was their wallet. So if your wallet hasn't been converted yet, then I would say your salvation still has a way to go. We sang that song, didn't we? In fact, thanks Becky for the choice of songs today because even in the new song, it was talking about surrendering and giving everything to God. I surrender all to you. And when it comes down to this question of trust in God, the big issue is, do we think that God is a harsh taskmaster, a cosmic autocratic boss whose chief joy is to order us around? The one talent man thought that, didn't he? Or do we trust God is a loving God who wants a lavish, vibrant, adult communion relationship with his grown-up kids? And do we love him with all our hearts, like the ten talent and the five talent people? 
When we're baby Christians and we don't yet have that mature grown-up adult relationship with our heavenly dad, then rules can be really helpful. My loving parents had a rule that I wasn't supposed to touch the stove unattended. I couldn't mess with a cooker because they knew I could get burned when I was younger. So similarly, rules like tithing are really helpful when we're new Christians. They provide us with some simple guidelines to follow and they give us a good starting life. They get us on the right track. But now I'm an adult, I no longer follow my parents' rules about the stove. Indeed, what I'll do is I'll use the stove unattended to make them a lovely meal ready for when they visit. I'll go beyond the rule they set me as a child by doing something extra to express my love for them in the creation of a delicious meal. And similarly with faith, as we grow and mature in our relationship with our Heavenly Father, then we're able to go beyond the rule of tithing and give more generously and lavishly, and in doing so, sense his pleasure. And when it comes to our giving, you know, it's okay to start off as a rules thing, but let's do it because it's a heart thing. Right at the root of our soul, we have to be settled that God is a loving Heavenly Father, and we can trust him. But when we talk about trust, it's not just about us trusting God. Do you know that God uses money to see how much he can trust us? In Luke 16, verse 10, Jesus said, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with little will also be dishonest with much. And he goes on in verse 11. This is Jesus says, so if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth and money, who will trust you with true riches? You see, Jesus didn't see money as true riches. Money is the little thing, it's the small thing. But if we can be trusted in that, it leads to the large things that God will entrust you with, both spiritual and material. So, so those were the three things I felt for this morning we needed to get settled. It all belongs to God. There's a battle for our soul. And it's really all about trust. And what I want to do is conclude just on some practicalities now. I just want to share with you what we can do practically. Now, can I say, a bit like the story I told you about my life, we're all in very, very different circumstances. Financially, relationally, we're all in different circumstances. And can I tell you, that I don't want you to do anything today out of guilt, out of shame, or, or feeling any sense of condemnation. That is not what the walk with Jesus is about. But I do hope the talk possibly provides a gentle challenge or an encouragement for you to continue on your walk with God. So do we get that, church? It's not about condemnation. It's not about guilt. It's not about shame. That would be the wrong motivation. But... If you already give at least a tithe, and beyond that, you give into other areas, such as the building fund, or supporting other ministries, or charities, or sponsoring children, then God bless you. Thank you. Keep doing that. Keep close to God. Maybe the challenge for you is, when was the last time you reviewed your giving? Review it regularly, prayerfully. Perhaps ask God, is there something more you're asking me to do? But please continue, cheerfully, 
and generously to give if that's you. Maybe if you're giving and you haven't quite managed to get to that 10% yet, then maybe today is the day to decide to trust God. And what I would say in this instance is, look at how you might make the first fruits of your income, the first 10%, give that to God first, and then maybe work out how to do the rest of it. Or perhaps you do give 10%, but you don't give anything else beyond that. Perhaps the scope for you, perhaps to extend your generosity, to open your hand further. Maybe it might be the building fund where you could support the elders and the trustees and the vision of the church as, as a way of showing solidarity for what they feel God has given them as the vision. Now, if you don't give at all, but you have some serious debt problems, then I would say don't tithe yet. Get your debt problems sorted first. God hates people to be enslaved, and bad debt is one of the hardest crippling slave masters. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see that God does not want you enslaved to death. So this means for you today, the first thing you'll need to do is get some help with your debt, both in terms of dealing with your current debt and the underlying issues that cause that debt. And there's nothing to be ashamed of in asking for help. Um, Christians Against Poverty, CAP, is one organisation. We'll be having CAP come and speak to us in the new year, we think. Um, we're organising that now. Or see one of the elders or one of the trustees or myself, and we will point you to where you could get some support. But can I tell you, God can give you freedom. It's a tough journey out of debt, but it's a tougher place to stay crippled. Now, if you're not crippled by debt, but you don't currently give, and you're worried that by giving you would struggle to make ends meet and you wouldn't have enough, why not try the guarantee in the Bible to test God in this, says Malachi. I and many other Christians have found that when you give your first 10% to God, you live better on the remaining 90% than you used to on the 100%. Do I get some nods on that one? Yeah, those people who've done this, you live better on 90%. And I, it's a mystery, and I don't understand it, but we've had lots of testimony here to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. So I want to challenge you. I want you to tithe for three months, just three months. And in that three months, give the first 10% of your income to God. Do that before you do anything else. Don't wait to see what you've got left over at the end of the month, but give to God first, and then the other stuff will fall into place. And if you test God for three months, I guarantee you that you will see the goodness of God. And also, if you don't see the goodness of God after three months, then, then don't tithe anymore. Say, well, it didn't work. I don't trust God. God's not faithful. But you know what? I know that God is faithful. I know that God is faithful. So that's the tithing guarantee, three months. How can you give? Well, the best way to give is by standing order. Um, it's very simple to set up. You can either go into your bank and do it, or you can do it by post. Or, if you're okay on the internet and you do online banking, it literally takes a few moments. It's very simple to set up a regular standing order, first of the month, and you can change that as time goes on. Now, there's a, a, a pack on the information desk that looks like this. And in this pack, it has a form that you can fill in, a standing order mandate. Okay. Also on the desk are the building funds forms, so you can get those too. And also on the desk 
is a gift aid declaration. Now, I'm looking for a big smile from Andrew Akani here, because I'm mentioning gift aid. I'm looking at Rob as well, because I want big smiles. Um, if you give to the church and you pay tax, then if you fill in one of these forms, the government will give us 20p for every pound you give. So if you gave us £100, then the government will give us another £20 just for you filling in one form. Well, that sounds like a good deal for me, for the government. We don't get much out of the government, but we could do this, couldn't we? So all of those forms, they're on the information desk. But if you didn't want to do any of that, we have our collection bag each week, and then, God bless you, put into that. So that's the practicalities. Okay, I'm going to conclude now. I want to write, remind us right at the end that giving and money is a spiritual thing. It reveals how we see the world, it reveals our heart, and it's part of our maturing process. Three things I'd really like you to get settled in your heart. Everything belongs to God. There is a battle for your soul. And actually, it's all about trust. Thanks, team.